I'm Reboot. Uh, this is a new podcast show which looks at how uh, community organizing and community building uh, work takes place at the interface of data governance uh, frameworks. We're interested to hear how civil society organizations are contributing to shaping and making these frameworks and we're very excited to have you here with us today. So thank you for joining. Uh, I'm Siddharth D'Souza, a postdoctoral researcher at the Global Data Justice Project at Tilburg Law School. Garki. Hi, I'm Garki Sharma. I am a researcher and policy officer at the Global Data Justice Project as well. And we're very excited to have you here. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself, where in the world you are and what you do? I've been part of Tactical Tech now for the past few years, uh, working in the Glass Room Project which uh, we'll, hopefully we'll get a chance to speak about in detail later. Thanks for inviting me. This is sound very exciting and I'm really happy to be here to discuss um, these topics with you. Um, yeah, I'm usually based in Berlin with the rest of the team of Tactical Tech that's been there for over 10 years now. Um, but we are mobile during this time of Corona. So uh, I've been staying in a few different countries in Africa and in Europe, but uh, yeah, looking forward to going back soon. And uh, yeah. Super. So we thought we'd, we'd start a little bit by, by asking you to tell us uh, something about the Glassroom project and in particular about the misinformation edition. So what were the motivations for the project and also any sort of interesting objects or artifacts that are part of the exhibition? Sure. I mean, I can talk about it for quite a long time, but I can, you can interrupt me anytime uh, you feel that, uh, you know, if you want more detail. But yeah, I mean, the Glassroom itself as a project, it started back in 2016. And it's interesting because it's taken different formats along the years until it reached this uh, latest edition, this misinformation edition. Um, but the whole idea was always kind of to have this public intervention really to, uh, demystify technology and and it's done through this immersive kind of thought-provoking well even self-learning these exhibitions that we're doing um so initially when it started in uh the first large exhibition when it started in berlin it was at the house of kultur and welt the house of cultures in, in berlin a pretty uh fancy venue there um in the middle of the city and um, it, it really looked at all of these issues around data and privacy and presented it in this really unique format. Um, interestingly though enough, uh, there was um, some board of directors of Mozilla having a uh, meeting in Berlin at the time and they stopped by to check it out and they said, you know what, why don't we partner up and do this in, in different parts of the world? And, and that's exactly what happened. It went to London, New York, and San Francisco in the sub subsequent uh, few years. Um, but really kind of, and this is where it started evolving a bit and started getting even more interesting, this idea of um, culture jamming, right? So, you know, a lot of people um, recognize this term from the billboards, people going up on billboards and kind of um, writing a message or painting it in their own way. In a, in a way, that's what the glass room is doing. It's another form, I think, of culture jamming, where uh, instead of a billboard, though, it, it's, it's much more immersive in the sense where it's taking this, um, uh, it looks like this sleek uh, tech shop. And as people are walking by, and this is where it's placed in the middle of, you know, downtown San Francisco, on major streets in London, and, 
and in New York. And so as people were walking by, they thought it was a tech shop and they go in and they're kind of, you know, then introduced to all of these different topics, uh, which is obviously not what they thought as they're going in, as they were going in. Um, so this was the idea of the glass room in its larger format. And then um, around 2018, so this is kind of coinciding with the New York uh, glass room, we started getting this immense kind of response when people were saying, okay, well, you know, we want these, we want this set up for our communities. How can we do this? And actually, ultimately, this is what the glass room wanted to do. It really wanted to open this conversation around technology and the impacts it has on us as everyday users and, and on society to the wider public and doing it with a high quality production of, you know, art slash tech slash um, all of these different formats that we've been using. And, and, and really, as opposed to just like having the, um, the visitors visit kind of a nice gallery or exhibition where, you know, there's these barriers. Uh, we, you know, the, really the aim here was to be more inclusive. And I think with this newer community edition that emerged in 2018, that really took this to about 50 countries around the world right now. Um, over 200,000 people have visited the uh, exhibition in its different formats. I think we're beginning to succeed and we're really uh, creating that conversation. And, 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 mo and most recently now going to the misinformation edition, this was... This was interesting because it's actually taken an even uh, newer format. Uh, I guess we were kind of initially uh, planning to have it in a physical format like we've always done. Um, but of course, with the pandemic, uh, we took it online. And so uh, that would be the newest format. We can talk about that more a little bit later. Um, but actually the misinformation in itself, uh, yeah, as, as, as the name suggests, um, we looked at, uh, in 2019, we started realizing, well, Hey, you know, this is before the term infodemic started, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, this is before we, we, uh, Corona actually hit and we really all around the world. We saw a barrage of, uh, misinformation and a massive spike. Um, we recognized this at tactical tech a few years earlier and, and from the beginning of 2019, started working on, on uh, getting a project out and st finally starting around mid-2019, working on, on this, what we call the misinformation edition, which is the latest edition of the classroom. Um, yeah, and I think if you'd like, we can go into like the different pieces, uh, if that sounds interesting. Yes, please. I mean, I'm, we, it sounds, all of this sounds super exciting, but... Um... We're particularly curious how this is working during the pandemic, where you know you mentioned that the work is happening in over fifty countries, and in some places they've managed the pandemic well, so people can't congregate indoors again. But most of the world is still interacting with art and exhibition in a more spatially distanced manner. How have you met that challenge? That's an interesting question. Actually, we had um, uh, actually our funding partners. So this last project was funded by the European Union, and and we sat with them at the end of the project, and they said they they posed that exact same question because obviously a lot of people struggled. I think it has to do with tactical text kind of culture of it's really fast paced, 
and we're kind of in the history of the organization we've always been in situations where we have to act swiftly and and kind of i don't want to use the word agile but uh i mean we had to react to certain tricky situations just because of the nature of our work and and the, and the people we were working with and, and and the environments we were working in and so when the pandemic hit we also quickly shifted as well and one of the interesting things that you know as we worked with our partners and then our partners partners even degrees away of the visitors of the classroom i would say a few degrees away um we expected that you know there could be a whole lot of different i guess options available to people but let, let's let's try and create as many as possible and one of the things we did was this hybrid exhibition where we hadn't actually uh, coordinated or worked with partners in the past to do this kind of format, but we imagined that you know maybe at times um, people would be in the street but wouldn't be able to go inside a, a library, for example, or any of the venues. And so, how can we use the different uh, formats um, to still engage with the public? And so we introduced this hybrid format and we encourage our partners to work with us in developing this format. And so it's really interesting to see how our partners came up with all different kinds of solutions. Um, so for example, in Ireland, uh, one of the libraries that we've been working with said, you know, we have a lot of, uh, 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 you know, our windows facing a major street mm -hmm. and we can just put all the posters up on the windows. And so that people walking on the street can, as they're stopping by, they can look at the windows, at the posters, at the visualizations that are part of the exhibition and, um, and engage with the material. And then when it came to the digital assets that we have, so, so the, let me take a step back. The exhibition actually has uh, different formats, meaning that there's these posters and these visualizations that we usually hang up on the wall, about a meter and a half by half a meter large. And we have a few of those and we have, um, apps right so our digital assets which are interactive that people you know can access through uh tablets or a notebook and so now in this uh situation in ireland where there were you know covid restrictions stopped people from actually entering the exhibition they would put qr codes to those apps so that people could start accessing them from the street on their phones right so this was one example of the hybrid format that was uh, definitely a result of uh, working with partners through the uh, restrictions of the pandemic. That sounds great. Thank you. Um, I'm curious because, you know, the physical exhibition is now quite in the past. We don't know when that would happen again. But could you tell us what it would, what the experience would be like for a person to go in? Because you mentioned that you know, it looks like a fancy textile from the outside. Folks are curious, they come in and it's a bit different from what they expect. So can you walk us through what the experience would be like? Sure. I mean, I, I would actually uh, kind of differentiate between the larger glass rooms, the ones that I mentioned earlier in Berlin and London, San Francisco, New York. And, and there's a few more that were actually also large scale productions. Uh, I would differentiate between that and the community editions. So the community editions um, were these low, uh, let's say low cost, scalable, accessible uh, exhibitions that were set up with partners all over the world. And these would, you know, usually include uh, seven to eight different objects, whereas a larger one could be up to 50 different objects and, and really like a, 
a really high budget and thanks to sponsors like uh, Mozilla and Firefox, we were able to uh, uh, have those events. But, but the smaller ones, the idea is really to focus on the reach and getting that information out there and keeping it as low cost as possible. Um, yeah, if I were to explain the, the you know, walking into, uh, you know, the latest one, for example, in San Francisco, I mean, it was this, uh, it was an ex, actually, it was an ex-converse uh, shoe shop that was completely transformed inside out to really look like uh, one of these, you know, tech shops, right? So you walk in and there's white walls everywhere and there's all this high-tech equipment as well, right? So there would be, uh, it's not just the formats I mentioned earlier in the misinformation edition, the uh, apps or the poster visualization, it would be a lot of actually um, more high-tech equipment. So I can give you an example, for example, of, uh, let me think, there's, there was the um, Megapixels by Adam Harvey, uh, one of the artists or consultants that we worked with, who um, set up basically a webcam and a screen and, and had bought um, a data set that's publicly sold um, to any buyer, basically of a million different uh, profile images that were scraped from popular websites like YouTube or Flickr. And then as you walk up to this webcam, it sees you and then it compares it through its uh, machine learning algorithm with all of these different um, photo images. And it, and it starts uh, displaying at least seven or maybe it's like 10 to 15 different images that it's matching you with. And at the end, you press a button that he's uh, created as part of the object and it gives you basically a grade from A to so A, B, C or D about um, how close you are to matching and how close your image is being used for um, these data sets where uh, the idea is basically, you know, our, 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 our images are being used beyond our consent and is being publicly traded between businesses uh, that are uh, for profit, obviously. And, um, and it was in this whole section of the glass room that was kind of under that narrative. And in and, and San Francisco, there's five other, four other narratives, um, each with a different focus. Um, I think, like I said, 50 objects. And um, we worked with a lot of different artists from around the world, not just uh, all tactical tech pieces. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting because, uh, you know, we had all uh, walks of life. I mean, we, we had chose obviously San Francisco for a reason. Uh, the heart of all of these uh, tech companies that were, you know, taking a critical look at, but also, um, uh, I mean, so to have like uh, visitors that had been working at, you know, some of the big five companies say, hey, I've been working on facial recognition. I had no idea this was happening. Right. And then you had people from the street walking in saying, yeah, I thought this was a tech store. I came in and I'm absolutely enthralled with what's happening here. I'm bringing my family back tomorrow. They would come back tomorrow with their family and then they would come back the third day. Um, in San Francisco, we were open for about 18 days and we had, I think it was like 20,000 visitors. Um, and it was, really, it, was, it was really interesting to see the different kind of reactions you got, but mostly... Um, you know, we had these little feedback cards and people were mostly saying, A, it's scary. They had no idea some of this is happening. But B, like, what can we do about it? Mm -hmm. And so, so this was also an interesting reaction that we were getting. 
Thanks. Thanks a lot. This sounds, this sounds really fascinating. I, I wanted to ask you a couple of follow-ups. So, so on this last point that you said in terms of reactions and in terms of people uh, wanting to do something, how, does, uh, how, how do you sort of engage with this? How do, you, how do you continue the conversation with people that visit the classroom? And, and what are the ways in which uh, they can continue to sort of uh, organize on their own? Because uh, as you described, it seems as if the, the exhibition is also interested in sort of a self-learning. So are there ways in which people can, uh, can organize on their own? Sure. Um, so actually, one uh, another project, but it kind of goes hand in hand for us at Tactical Tech, is called um, the Data Detox Kit. And this is an online and printable, uh, well, kit that gives you kind of the tips and tricks around what you could do to address things like your security online, your privacy online, your well-being um, in the latest uh, classroom misinformation edition. There was a specific article about uh, how to address misinformation, how to steer clear of that. And so um, it's great because it goes through um, things like, you know, ch you know, changing your name on your phone or uh, talks about your location, access to giving your location. And so it gives you uh, a step by step, each uh, either Android or, or, or an iOS, how to take those steps. So something tangible something that's concrete that you can do in order to start lowering your exposure. So this is, this is really, I mean, you know, a lot of times when people are at the classroom, we, we have this, uh, usually in the larger ones, we have the data detox bar. And in this data detox bar, we have ingeniuses um, that are sitting there and kind of speaking to people, engaging in the conversation, which I have to say is one of the magic when the pre-COVID times when we were able to do this is really like engaging about these digital topics in a non-digital space, right? And so um, we had the bar and people would go up there and ask certain questions and begin different conversations. And, you know, um, and then they would end up walking away with a data detox kit, which they could look at at their own leisure in the future. Um, so this is one way we kept, you know, the engagement and, and the interest going. But but also a lot of people came back to us and said, well, hey, you know, you had this large exhibition. Is there anything that I can do? And that's where the community edition came up. This one that uh, I was describing earlier that, that was much more portable and accessible that could just be shipped anywhere around the world. Super. So on this community edition, and one of the things that you said uh, earlier was, was, was cultural jamming. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to understand what you, what you meant by the term and also how when, when the community edition moves to different parts of the world, uh, what, what, how does Tactical Tech work with its different partners? So you gave us these really nice examples of, of Ireland and San Francisco. Uh, do they, uh, is, is it in terms of the display of the exhibition? Is it in terms of curating objects? Uh, what are the ways in which they co-create uh, such exhibitions with you? Sure, I mean, uh, you know, the larger ones were actually, um, this was a chosen location by tactical tech and it was deliberate it was really to go to basically silicon valley right um and and the idea is that a lot of people that had worked on with us on different objects that were uh, displayed during that glass room were not in san francisco um they're they were from around the world 
Um, so uh, a lot of them were researchers in this in this field, in this sector, um, and that kind of overlapped with uh, being artists in some way, or some would call themselves activists, some would call themselves uh, provocateurs, I would say. And so basically there's all kinds of people that were engaged with creating the different objects, but with collaboration with tactical tech. And, um, and, 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 and the creative director who, has, uh, who had spent a lot of time with each and one of the artists uh, in order to bring them around to the approach of the glass room, which is very specific in the sense that it's not trying to basically explain these issues in, in a way that's been tried hundreds of times before and basically failed to reach the public. It failed to resonate with the public. Um, the idea here is to be uh, not to be so didactic. It's not to use a lot of technical jargon to, as to scare people away. It's really to 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 connect on points that they're actually um, more familiar with. Instead of taking talking about the technical aspects of facial recognition, or I'm going to talk, you know, we're going to present the selfie, for example, which is something that is much more relatable to the everyday user. Right. Um, but then but then when we started working on a community edition, we started uh, collaborating more with people from around the world, specifically with two uh, different groups in India. Um, we created um, some visualizations, actually, that were India specific to India, actually. Um, these were uh, the two organizations were from Goa and Bangalore. So there's uh, the Bachao project and there's uh, CIS and each one of them did the research and together with tactical tech, again, trying to explain the approach um, kind of met in the middle. And then we went back to our designers who've been working with us for many years now to present it really with this glass room, this, this sleek format that kind of goes with the, um, with the overall uh, a design of the project and, and, and the exhibition space. Um, so this was done throughout, uh, I think it was like a six month to eight month period. Um, and, and the posters came out last year and they're, and they're very specific to India in the sense that um, when you look at the poster, so one is about um, femtech and, and basically um, uh, women apps and, it's, and privacy. And so uh, when you read the, the poster, uh, the company's name, there are companies uh, that are based in India, right? And the apps that are Indian apps. Um, there's also some global ones as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is more, more or less how we work with partners. Um, there's, there's other partners that we've worked with, with the uh, youth. And so the glass room has uh, and is now becoming more and more focused on uh, the younger age group. And uh, there's a lot of collaboration uh, with the younger age group in the sense that mm, we feel that the companies now are addressing this target market and a lot of people are speaking in their name. And, uh, but just like the movement um, when it comes to climate change, uh, we feel that the youth have a lot to say and they're not really being heard when it comes to tech. And now there's a collaboration on that level as well. And you'll hopefully be seeing things this year uh, coming out with, uh, with, with, uh, in relation to the glass room and, and, and uh, this younger age group. That sounds um, sorry. Go ahead, please. No, no, please finish your thought. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the idea here is that uh, we want to uh, collaborate as much as possible and still maintain this uh, this really effective, we, we've seen, uh, tried and tested over the years, it's this really effective approach of how the glass room has been reaching people in its, uh, and, and again, like this really, it's not a techno-utopian or a techno-pessimist um, take on the uh, matters at hand. It's really showing people uh, at the moment, you know, this, this exists now, this is not speculative. A lot of, uh, you know, art obviously can be of all different forms, but um, one can argue, well, I mean, this is not, you know, something that's going to happen in the future. This is not some dystopian outlook. This is actually things that are happening right now and presented in this unique format. Wow, that sounds really fascinating and like a more realistic uh, Black Mirror episode, maybe. I I love the fact that you're you know approaching target audiences in a non-technical, non-threatening manner. You're not speaking down to them using technical language. You're meeting them where they are and hoping to inspire conversation. I believe on the level that you want. Now. Um, You've been you you're working across cultures and you're working across age groups. Are there any particular challenges that you find, for example, in countries that do not use so much digital technology by individuals, or for example, talking to teenagers who again have a huge stake in the future of technology and data governance, but have a very different experience with technology? Yeah, sure. No, I mean, there's definitely all, all kinds of challenges that we face. Um, so, for example, um, I have to say, like, when, when it comes to misinformation, for example, um, there is a question mark of, well, uh, what is exactly misinformation, right? So if people are going to try and use the term fake news, what is fake news, right? Um, and this is something we actually try to address in the edition itself. Um, so, but of course, when it comes to different cultures, there's a different outlook on it and different perspective, I think, from as possible. And so as much as, you know, we've gone to 50 countries and we've really uh, reached a wide group of people, we would prefer, we would hope that it would be as relevant as possible. And so a lot of our examples um, did have North America or European um, uh, kind of examples in there. And obviously that's limiting when you're trying to make a point. I mean, who is that politician that we're referencing? Who, you know, what about that article that, you know, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a, a global issue. So, so um, I think we try to overcome this by asking our partners to um, kind of localize the content in a way that they saw fit. Um, so with the, with the actual edition, the uh, objects that we presented, there's also workshops um, that kind of, so one was about fact checking and one was about persuasive design. These were rolled out with the misinformation edition. The idea was to, we kind of predicted that there's going to be a lot of people competing for that online space during a pandemic. And in order to get more people to come see the exhibition, maybe, you know, having an interactive workshop would help as well. 
And so a lot of the examples in the workshop related to the objects that were in the exhibition. And then we went to partners and we said, well, here's, you know, here's the exhibition, here's the workshops. Why don't you see if you can localize some of those uh, workshop examples? And in that way, it was more relevant to their audience. In that way, they actually felt like there's more ownership over that content as well. And so it became much more engaging for our, our partners to be going out to their communities and, and really um, seeking to, to really, you know, provoke those questions or, or really continue that discussion. Yeah. Um, just a quick follow-up. Um... I love the fact that, you know, you are also reimagining scale when you're doing this, right? So instead of just taking one strategy and applying it to all these countries and all these communities, you, from my understanding, you are internationalizing the analysis, but still doing it in a locally appropriate manner. And I just wanted to congratulate you on that before to that ask the next question. <laughs> Great. No, thanks for that. And, um, and I, think, I think we're looking to do this even more and more as we move forward. So we're really excited, actually. Thanks, Gargi. Uh, no, just, I think just to follow up on what, what Gargi said, I think one of the things that we were curious about was how do you and, and Tactical Tech also deal with, uh, as, as, a, as an organization, deal with different kinds of, of pressures, for instance, from government or funding or... Um, and 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 I think one of the th we were curious about this because we we also wanted to know how uh, organizations in different contexts are still able to do the work that they do uh, in circumstances that oftentimes are very challenging. So um, to to also understand what are these challenges and and what are the ways in which uh, uh, solidarity can be built through through different organizations and networks and and if there's anything that you'd like to share on this. Sure. Um, yeah, when it goes to challenges, I would say, you know, one of the um, aspects of the glass room that that is very interesting is that if you look at the previous uh, IoT edition, so this is the first community edition, the, the portable, the, 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 the low cost and accessible version that came out. It looked at uh, a lot of the companies. Right. So it was uh, we have this one poster called the Alphabet Empire. And it's, uh, it's an interactive poster, again, a meter and a half long. And, um, and you're meant to use the pens that are provided on the poster to connect the dots on this poster. Um, and it could take, you know, uh, maybe an hour to, to get through this. And in the end, there's a message revealed, um, a quote by the Google CEO. But what I want to say here is that it's, it looks at, you know, the, it looks at Google, it looks at, yeah, a lot of the big five, but it looks at companies. And it, in a way, this doesn't create the, the challenges you would expect working in this uh, sector, looking at privacy and data a lot with almost any kind of, I, I would say, authorities around the world, actually. Everyone's always welcome to explore what these companies are doing because, it, and I think through the years it's become more and more apparent that um, the companies, whether it's through uh, the European Union or even the US government, they bully their way through um, to maximize their profits. I mean, this is their goal, right? And so 
And so countries around the world who obviously don't have as much um, ability to uh, resist these companies uh, lobbying, um, they, they're aware of what's going on. And so when we're looking specifically at the private sector, it really opens the door for us to go anywhere. And that's what we have been doing. Now, of course, when we come to misinformation, it's uh, then it gets a little bit trickier. Um, but again, it's looking at, you know, what did, you know, what did Facebook do when there was a spread of disinformation of, uh, of, uh, of certain leaders around the world? Let's talk about Trump, for example. They didn't act until like the last few, very few months of his tenure in office, right? Um, and, but those issues were apparent from 2016. And as we talk about these different issues uh, in the past few years, uh, it's getting more and more uh, debated and heated. But um, uh, interestingly enough, I think just today, there's, uh, or in the past few days, The Guardian wrote an article about, the, uh, about Facebook supporting um different uh, uh regimes around the world and i would say the conversation is still ongoing but it's, it's really that perspective through the lens of user looking at the companies and what they're doing right um, i think that would be a fascinating experience as someone who's engaging with the exhibition whether online or in the hybrid format or just looking at the data detox kit and figuring out what the next steps for them would be. I'm curious what the next steps for you are. Uh, how long are you planning to continue the classroom project? What is your end game? What does success look like for you? Sure. Uh, actually, you know, we're in the we're in the midst of uh, really actually tackling this idea even more as the issue of misinformation has definitely since we started creating these objects which was in 2019 and the beginning of 2020 is taken on a, a whole new form obviously uh, with the pandemic and so we want to look at these even deeper um, and so we intend on coming up with new objects that are really looking at uh, the extent of misinformation and how it's developed around the world but there's this overlap with also uh, tech in crisis, uh, if we can call it that, you know, what is happening in the health sector? I mean, everything that the conversation that started with contact tracing all the way to now we're talking about uh, vaccine passports. Um, so, you know, digital version of a passport and, you know, what does that mean for our society and what are the uh, safeguards taken in order to prevent um, abuse of that kind of data and information. And so we look at all these themes and try to incorporate it again in, in different formats in, in the glass room. And again, we're going to be looking at and, and developing uh, uh, this youth and tech series as well. So this is kind of what's on the line for, for the glass room. But um, as you may know, Tactical Tech also has a few other projects um, uh, one called data and politics that really looks at uh, the influence industry mm -hmm. and uh, basically how data is used in elections and in campaigns and also exposing the invisible, which is um, uh, a series of events and articles organized by tactical tech with journalists and activists who are doing citizen investigations. So there's all kinds of activities happening at tactical tech, but, yeah, taking it back to the glass room, I think we have a lot on our plate. We're really excited um, to come up with more and more additions uh, in, in, in this year and the next year. 
Thanks, 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 Muhammad, for sharing that. And I think it's it's really inspirational to see how reflective the project is. I think in in the course of our conversations, we've seen so many different uh, versions of the classroom already, and and I think it's 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 really cool to see how you've expanded and responded to what uh, the public needs and 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 how you can engage with them. Uh, before we end, we thought that uh, if if you'd like. Uh, to share any sort of key takeaways for CSOs that are working in similar contexts, um, any ideas or any kind of uh, suggestions for, from your experiences that that you think might be helpful, uh, particularly as you said uh, uh, in this last in your last uh, uh, exchange about tech in crisis and how it's raising even new kinds of questions and challenges for us, whether from vaccine passports or other things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the most important thing that we're all doing here is that um, we're not waiting for, uh, you know, governance to change, actually. We are taking action right now and we're doing this collectively. I think we all have a, a part to play. And I think it, it actually, this, uh, yeah, we are raising awareness, but actually is having a more profound impact, I would say. I think um, by people becoming more aware, they're making certain decisions that are eventually um, affecting the private sector, um, whether it's uh, Facebook uh, or Google announcing that they're gonna take more privacy um, uh, uh, related measures in order to uh, satisfy that uh, section of their, of their, of their communities. Um, so I would say we, we need to continue working all together, everyone doing their sync, uh, their bit in order to achieve that purpose. And, and I think um, the more people uh, do this, the more it affects not just the, the private sector, but also the kind of governance that we are looking for and the regulations of these larger companies. Um, yeah, and, and always, I would say, when it comes to also working on, on a grassroots level, I mean, collaboration, collaboration, collaboration as much as possible. A lot of people are doing uh, some relevant work around the world. Um, you know, we can replicate and, and, and localize or we can work together and, and just like, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's an opportunity here that uh, a lot of people can work together and magnify each other's work. I love that. Thank you. I mean, you know, the digital future is global. And so we need to make alliances across geographies and make alliances across movements too. Um, thank you. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, I think that's great. Thanks for having me, Gargi and Siddharth. Uh, it's really nice to speak to you today. Thank you. Thanks so much for, for joining us. And yeah, we look forward to continuing this conversation with you. Uh, thanks again.